and uh, we pick up where we left off in Mark 15:38. I want to uh, introduce you to some folks. Now, many of you are well aware of the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and there's so much detail in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we're taking the perspective today from Mark, and we're going to focus in on Mark's point of view and the completion of this discipleship manual called the Gospel of Mark. This book was written to show the disciples how to walk after their rabbi. After Rabbi Jesus has taught us what it means to walk in kingdom authority, he is now showing us how to do that and how to act in that manner. And so he covers the resurrection in the same way. And I want to give that light to you. I want to give you that understanding. And so at the burial of Jesus, we see that Jesus dies. He cried out, my God, my God, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And in verse 38, it says, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw this, that he breathed his last breath. He said, truly, this was the Son of God. We could spend hours talking about the significance of that veil in the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies being ripped in two, but Mark doesn't. Mark speeds right on past that. He'll let Matthew and Luke take care of that. He's got something else he's addressing, and so he declares this is the Son of God from the mouth of what was an unbeliever who now standing at the cross believes. And he goes forward and he says in verse 42, it seems interesting, I'm sorry, verse 40, that he then moves to the women and there were women looking from a distance among them, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him and there were also many other women who came up with him from Jerusalem. Why in this scene are we concerned about people? Why are we concerned about others? We're talking about Jesus, Jesus just died. Why are we concerned about the people gathered around him? Because that's Mark's focus, the disciples. Mark's focus is the people who will follow Jesus even to the end. There are faithful women, and I don't know where the church would be today without faithful women of God. Many churches would have shut their doors long ago. It's hard enough to get men. Once men get snared by the enemy, they just love to get fixed by the enemy. They love their fixation and their, their flesh works. But women, women have been faithful to the gospel for years. Can I get an amen, women? And so everyone defeated. Remember, they all scattered. The disciples, 12 men, they scattered. And who stays? At this point, the women. The women are there. And so the women are faithful. And Mark points us out to these women who are faithful disciples, wanting to tend. And what I find interesting then is in verse 42. And when evening came, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath. This is the Passover Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked him for the body of Jesus. You know, just when you think it's all over, just like Elijah who goes into a cave and begins whimpering and crying, saying, I'm the only one left. No one left here to serve you, God. And God said, I saved prophets. Right? 300? How many prophets did he save? He said, that have not bowed to the knee of 
Baal. God has reserves. God has others. And just when you think everybody's deserted and no one's there, just some ladies who are trying to minister to this body, Joseph of Arimathea and John tells us Nicodemus. Who expected these guys? They're part of the Sanhedrin. Guess what trial they were just at all night? They were there. They're at the trial of Jesus. Now, now I'm sure that they uh, had some things to say about what was going on. First of all, you're not supposed to convene the Sanhedrin in the middle of the night. It's against the law of Moses. And, and to rip the high priests, to rip his clothing is against and violates the law. I mean, all of it was a violation. I don't know if they spoke up or if they did or they didn't, but they were there. They saw this whole process. Now, something had to happen for Joseph of Arimathea to take courage to go to Pilate and ask for the body. That's an amazing thing. God has provisions where we don't even know. Some of you folks don't understand what's going to happen from today or a month from now. You can't see the provision of God, but he's got a Joseph standing in the wings that's going to pay for it. I don't think you heard me. Because if Joseph of Arimathea did not come forward, Jesus would have ended up in the beggar's grave. In a mass grave with a bunch of bodies, he would have simply been thrown in, covered up. And no one would have known where his tomb was, which was essential to prove the resurrection, that it was empty. And he would have had a common burial where no one was there to care for his body, tend for him, or anything like that. You see, God had a plan and God had a man and Joseph of Arimathea came forward. He was a rich man. He had just had a tomb cut open for him. A brand new tomb. No one ever used it. Isn't that like God? Only the best for his son. But that's what I'm saying, folks. God's got a prepared one for you. I don't know. You've got a situation. You don't know how you're going to overcome it. God's got someone in the wings you can't see. Totally unexpected. You never thought this guy. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he didn't want anyone to know. Now he's stepping out in the day. Well, actually it was night. <laughs> but he's stepping out in front of him. Pilate and all the rest. They exposed themselves to the rest of the Sanhedrin that we want to tend to this man's body. Amazing. And so did Nicodemus. Church tradition says he and Joseph of Arimathea came to know the Lord and that they followed in faith. So Nicodemus heard the story of being born again. Something moved that man and they followed him. You're going to see a great falling away in the church. You're going to see so many Christians moving and falling away or of those who claim to be Christ, those who are church attenders. But when the persecution comes, when strong comes the world against the church... Many will fall away. Many will leave. And you're going to wonder, who's left? But I want you to know, God's always got a remnant. Those faithful women at the gravesite, those faithful women at the cross, there's a remnant right there that stays. And then out of nowhere, you're not even going to believe it, but Joe Schmo comes up. You think, he got saved? I've had the privilege of watching some of you meet some of your high school friends in the hallway. I, I remember, I don't know how many of you remember our, our, our good brother Rudy Dorita and, and Nick Cantonello. These two guys have gone on to be with the Lord, but I remember when they first saw each other in the hallway. Nick! Rudy! You got saved! Hallelujah! Who would have thought? Who would have thought these guys? 
Isn't it like the Lord? It's not over, folks. You've been waiting and praying for your family and witnessing and nothing, nothing, nothing. Before you know it, something's going to happen, and they're going to step forward saying, yeah, I believe. I believe. Wow. And God found them useful. That's the kicker. God finds us useful for something. Isn't that amazing? Who'd have thought? You, used for the kingdom of God. You look in the mirror and you go, what, me? Come on, what can I do? You got a grave? Yeah, you got something. You see, you each have something, and it's interesting that God uses our life. Did you think that Joseph of Arimathea, while he was saving up his cash, he's on the Sanhedrin, he's a big man now. Ooh, 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 I'm on the Sanhedrin. I'm a rabbi from, you know, the east side, man. I'm all right, everything's cool. I'm going to get me a special tomb. I'm going to have it all cut out, get a special rock, have it all prepared. He's watching, looking at it, looks good, I like it. Everything turns, and all of a sudden he sees Jesus on the cross, this death, and something stirs in him to say, I must give this to God. How many of you, you've worked at things so precious? How about that retirement? Oh, you worked so hard. All that time, putting it all away so you could fish and bowl, go skiing, huh? take a trip here and there. Praise God. And then something happens, and God says, go. Take the money and go. Go to China. Go to Russia. Go to Africa. Go to Detroit. Go to Wyoming. (laughs) Go. But Lord, can you imagine what its value would become when you turn it over to the Lord? And you use it now for the kingdom of God. Yeah, go get on retirement. Get retired. We need you. And then get into the work of the kingdom. Amen? So Joseph had something to offer. If there's anything that Mark shows us is that the disciples of Jesus are this, this collection of people that come out of nowhere. Nobility, rich people, Sanhedrin, fishermen, women you got to understand, in this culture, women, the first witness to the resurrection is a woman. A woman has no value in a a court of law in this time. Back off, ladies. (laughs) In this time. Why would the Lord have his first witnesses as women? Because you matter. You count. You're important. These are the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of you matters. And so he, the women are there, faithful. The rich guy who's in the Sanhedrin, he comes forward. Nicodemus, the teacher who doesn't get it, now comes forward. It's awesome and wondrous. And so we see that Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. In verse 8, he summoned the centurion and asked, is this guy dead? He said, yeah. And they said, all right, you can take the body. Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in that linen shroud and laid him in a tomb they had cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were there when he laid him. Then we rest during the Sabbath. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. We're in chapter 16, verse 2. And early the first day of the week, that is now on a Sunday, When the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and there 
they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us? We don't have the details here. Matthew does, tells us that a Roman centurion, was a Roman guard was set uh, before that so, uh, a stone, a garrison. Uh, these guys are equivalent to the Green Beret. That stone was sealed by the Roman signature seal and strapped shut so that no one would steal the body. These men were trained to uh, guard four square foot of ground, each one of them. And they would give their life to protect it. And as these soldiers are standing there, taking shifts, staying awake and being alert on watch so that no one would steal that body. God secured this thing so that you couldn't be faked. It had the Roman seal upon it that could not be broken unless the authority of Rome would allow it to be broken. Just so happens there's a higher authority than Rome. And as they're walking there, they're worried, how are we going to get to the tomb? It's been sealed and, and, and so forth. But what they found out is that in that morning, it says that the angels rolled the, thro- the stone away. And in the Greek, it, it says that they pitched that stone. Angels are strong. And the guards ran away. But Mark's not interested in those details. He needs to get back to the issue. And they were saying one to another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. They were alarmed. He said, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He's risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go and tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you in Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled uh, from the tomb, from trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they, and they said nothing to anyone. They were afraid. And obviously we know they ran back to Peter and John. And so the first witnesses being women, God uses them. Some of you are the first witnesses in your family. Some of you are the lessers of the family. People don't pay attention to you in the family, but you're the voice for the Lord. You've seen and heard things they cannot see. They're blind and deaf and dumb to the spirit realm, but you have seen Him risen. Blessed are those who have seen and believed, but more blessed are those who believe without seeing. That blessing is upon us all. And so... They go back to tell Peter. Now, you might have an inscription here, a little phrase in your Bible in the newer translations that say, and that's the end of the Gospel of Mark. Ends at chapter 16, verse 8. Um, the reason that is in there is because uh, finding newer, newer, older manuscripts. In other words, manuscripts that we didn't have dating back further than any previous manuscripts, the Gospel of Mark is missing from verses 9 to 16 in chapter 16. All right? So some scholars believe this is where the gospel ended. It's a bit abrupt, I would say, to end there, and they were afraid. It's a percentage of about 97% of the ancient transcripts we have of the gospel of Mark include all of chapter 16 from 9 to verse 20. It's there. It's just two of the most ancient, two or three of the most ancients don't have this portion. 
Now, is there enough evidence to prove that it does belong there? Absolutely. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that uh, verses 9 to 20 belong at the end of the Gospel of Mark. We have Irenaeus, who uh, at 100 AD, a student of the Apostle John, who quotes Mark 16, verse 20. And every verse and reference in in verse 9 to 20 has scriptural basis in other parts of the of uh, the gospels to validate that they're true so i'm setting that aside and i'm not even concerned about it it's necessary that these verses belong here let's move on now when he rose early on the first day of the week he appeared first to mary magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons she went and told those who had been with him and they mourned and wept But when they heard that he was alive and had seen by her, they would not believe it. Say it with me. They would not believe it. One more time. Okay. Thanks, Mary. So we've got the tomb and uh, the burial. I could use this, Brandon, but it ain't happening. So... After this burial, they, he appears to the women and Mary Magdalene. But they would not believe it. And then after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking in the country. And they went back and told the rest. But they did not believe them. Say it with me. All right, so now you have the two on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember that story? Luke tells us that where, they, where Jesus uh, uh, appears to them. Maybe it's John. Where Jesus appears to them on the road to Emmaus. They're talking. Jesus is explaining to them Messiah from Moses through the prophets. And he breaks bread to have dinner with them. And all of a sudden they realize this is Jesus and whew, he's gone. So they go and they tell the 11. They tell the disciples. You got Mary Magdalene. You got those at the tomb. And now you got the two on the road. Go to tell the disciples. And what did the disciples say and do? They didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. Peter, James, John, Andrew, right? The rest of them. Judas is gone. They didn't believe it. These are the disciples. Now, verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Again, Mark's focus is not the detail surrounding the resurrection to prove the resurrection. For Mark... This is a done deal. It's already proved. I don't need to give you the dimensions of a tomb and I don't need to tell you how many guards covered it and I don't need to talk to those of you who are cynics. What I want to talk to you about is who Jesus cares about, his people, his disciples. And so he sent witnesses to tell them Jesus is risen. This again to me shows Jesus' challenge to his disciples. Jesus, why didn't you just show up and show them? But he showed up to the women first, and Mary Magdalene, and then the two on the road. Why go for a walk, Jesus? Why are you walking down the road? Again, 
He's training his disciples to believe, to believe, to search the scriptures, to know what they said, to search their heart and remember what he spoke and to believe. And so Mary comes sweating. You're not going to believe this. Jesus is alive. Oh, come on. Woman, they come running in. Peter, we broke bread. We thought, he told us everything from Genesis all the way through the prophets. It was him. It was him. He broke the bread. We saw the nail-scarred hands. He was there and they were, whoop, he's gone. Yeah, right. <laughs> Pass me the mustard. They're eating dinner, reclining at the table. Ah, what do you want to do now? I don't know. We could start a club. Could have a we could have meetings. I don't know. I mean really. They won't believe him. <laughs> and as Mark tells us, Jesus has got to show up again for these guys. Remember they had to wake him up in the boat? Remember he had to walk on the water? And you remember he was going to walk right on by him? (laughs) All right, all right. And what did he do every time? He rebuked them. Isn't that something? You know, if Jesus would rebuke us, half half of you wouldn't come back to church. It's true. We got to get to a place where we could take the rebukes of Jesus. Why would Jesus rebuke us? Why would Jesus rebuke us? Why would our teacher and our master and our Lord rebuke us? To train us, to teach us, to go to a higher calling, to go to the next level. And he'll, he'll kick you in your butt to get up there. And some of you need a good butt kicking. Can I say that in church? Amen. It's part of the anatomy. Now, you have to understand something. In this verse, it says that they would not believe two times here. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves. Now, that's what they were called, the eleven at this point, because he always called them the twelve, the twelve, the twelve. But uh, we know because of John, uh, his writing, that when he appeared to these it was actually 10 because Thomas wasn't there when he first appeared. But their, their title is the 11. So he says he appears to them. And they're reclining at the table. And he rebuked them. And the Greek word, and you can look it up at home in your Strong's Concordance, the Greek word for this rebuke is a strong, very strong chastisement. I mean, when Jesus rises from the grave, rises from the dead and walks in your midst, and the first thing he does is yell at you. I mean, come on. Something's going on. And why did he rebuke them? For their unbelief. That's one thing. That's one thing. Unbelief. They just wouldn't believe. Wouldn't believe. Not going to believe. But the second issue is the bigger problem. What does it say? The hardness of their heart. Wow. Do you know a hardened heart can keep you from seeing Christ? 
Many of you are saved. I know that. You're sealed by the blood of Jesus. But things have come into your heart that have caused it to become hard. I believe with all my heart, brothers and sisters, that there's a prophetic spirit on us as a people for this day and age. There's an anointing on us, but it is being restricted by our hardness of heart. What is a hardness of heart? We've gone over this before as we studied the book of Mark. This hardness of heart is, is not just doubt, but it's also an apathy. It's, it's also an attitude of, I can't be used, I don't want to be used. I'll just tend to myself. It's a hardness of heart. It's like, you know what? I'm not going to praise because I don't feel like it. I'm not going to speak because I don't want to. It's such a hardness. And Jesus rebukes them. I mean, we all celebrate this. You know, we all celebrate when Jesus appears to them. They're going, ah, Jesus is here. He's alive. He's alive. Ah. It didn't happen that way. He comes in and says, you stiff-necked, unbelieving disciples of mine, what's wrong with you? Wow, that's rough, isn't it? They had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. So, obviously, I mean, obviously, what do you do when you've got your A team? This was his A team. (laughs) That's his A team. What do you do with your A team when they are so missing the mark Their hearts are hardened. Peter's still whimpering in the corner. (laughs) I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. I thought I could. I guess I did. I don't know. Thomas is like, I'm out of here. I ain't even staying. This is stupid. He's not even there at the meeting. And so they're they're discussing, they're disputed. No one. I mean, John, right? Remember, John was part of this group too. He had been there at the cross, all this. None of them believed. He rebuked them. Now, what do you do with your A-team when they're that much of a loser? What do you do with them? You know what you do? You hand over the world to them. That's our Jesus. That's our Lord. He rebukes them. And then he says, go. What? They're not qualified. I've got four degrees. I spent 30 years in the church. I've served. I've washed toilets. I did everything. I'm the next one. Hey, look it. In God's sight, we're all losers. But in God's sight, we're his A-team as well. Because he takes the foolish things, the base things of this world. I don't know if you realize it. That's us! To confound the wise. What's amazing, brothers and sisters, we're his A-team for this generation. We're the called ones for this decade, for this time. So you might be a doubter. You might be confused. Your heart may be hard. Is God going to set you aside? Is God going to not use you? Not our Jesus. (laughs) He'll say, get your act together. Let's go. Let's go. That's us. 
We're not perfect. We sing out of tune. We play wrong notes. We don't read very well. We don't know how to witness. We don't know how to heal the sick and pray for those who need miracles. And what does he say? Go. But I don't go. Because you are a vessel that carries him, his Holy Spirit. All you need to do is be obedient. Now, look at what he says. He says this. Therefore, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. It's important to note that that point on baptism is not a saving point. It is your faith that is your saving point. So, it's believe, be baptized in obedience, but if you don't believe, forget about it. All right. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll pick up serpents with their hands and they will drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And I love this last line of Mark 16. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. (laughs) The the Lord worked with them. He used them. Isn't that amazing? Mark focuses in on the discipleship factor. They still didn't get it, even at the resurrection. But something happened on the day of Pentecost that changed everything, didn't it? John 21 says that he breathed on them, receive ye the Holy Spirit. They began to understand Scripture. They began to realize what must be done. They began to search Scripture and know we must replace Judas and, and because the, the Scriptures tell us to replace him. And so they begin this sense of the move of the Spirit of God. But then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes into their being. And now God uses them. So this Easter, the thing I have to say to you is, you might be a skeptic. You may not believe. You may have a hardened heart. Ah, but God's a God of resurrection. He takes dead hearts and he makes them alive. He takes dull senses and he brings life to them. I don't know where you've been in your Christianity. I don't know where you're at right now. But guess what? He says, go. He says, go. He says, take those hands. Lay them on people and begin to pray for them. He says, don't worry. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to care for you. Some of you will give your lives. Some others I will protect. He told the church in the, in the book of Revelation, he said, some of you will pass away. Some of you will be put in prison. Some of you will die. Now God knew that. It's ordaining God. Your life is in his hands. How do you want to live it out? Your way or his? So live it out for him. We are his A-team. We are his best effort for this generation. Better get used to it. He wants to use you. So get in gear and go. Because on you is written a list for all to believe when you say, born again believer. I can cast out demons. I can lay hands on the sick. I can pick up deadly things. I can go forth in the power and the anointing of God and much will be done. That's you. 
That's the ingredients list on the back of your tag as a Christian. That's us. And so on this resurrection day, hey, we need a good rebuke from Jesus because he's putting us in the game. Now, go. Go. There's much more to be told in this story. The book of Acts continued. And as it went forth and went into all the world, it has come now to 2015, and the mantle is upon us, and it's our turn to go under the authority of the resurrected Lord. Let us bow our heads. Hallelujah. Oh.